so here we are again and I think I'm pretty confident in saying that the average age of this week's show is the youngest it's ever been so strap yourselves in folks Hey everybody and welcome to the Sunny 16 podcast. Uh, this is Aid. I am a little out of breath this week uh, because I've been travelling a lot today and uh, I've literally only just got home. I've barely had time to start my whiskey and I'm still eating my dessert. Um, so I'm just going to go on mute for a bit and let Graham say hi. How you doing buddy? I'm doing very well, thank you, Aid. It's great to be back again. Um, I'm still feeling a little bit guilty because I rabbited on so much last week and left you with a monster of an editing job. And um, and to be honest, even uh, you went all the effort of editing everything, and then I still went. Well, I'm not sure it's right, but you quite rightly told me to uh, jog on and put it up, and you were quite right because people still enjoyed it just the same. So. Um, yeah, apologies, Aid, for making your life a bit difficult last week. I do. You know. <laughs> <laughs> you have to bleep that out now. Well, okay. Blimey. Uh, what I didn't say was this was show 44. Clearly um, clearly my lucky number. Uh, yeah, yeah. Listen, um, interesting. And, uh, and uh, we're going to try and keep it... Uh, a little tighter I, I, I this love week. That. See, this is why I never apologise, because it throws people so completely that they then can't carry on with their life. Well, I'll tell you what, let's turn this into a, a call for listener responses then, because we just, yeah, the reason for mentioning this, I guess, is that, yeah, we're conscious of the fact that our podcast got a little longer uh, recently in the last, I don't know, six to ten shows or something like that. Um, and having a, a really long intro like this is probably part of the problem. So we're going to try and tighten stuff up. But it'd be good to hear back and get some feedback from the listeners uh, to understand whether long and rambly or, or tight and crisp is or somewhere in the middle is where we should be at. Um, and uh, without further ado, then, in, with that in mind, uh, Graham, would you like to introduce our super special guest for the week? I certainly would. I am really pleased to have joining us today um, something of a, a real novelty in the film photography world. We have, yeah, like that. <laughs> yeah, we we have a, a young person joining us. Surely um, not. Who, I know, I know. Uh, who, who's not going to get any of our stupid references? Um, but yes, joining us today, a very talented photographer, Josh Foster. Um, Josh, welcome to the show. Hi there. Thank you for having me on. It's a real pleasure to have I'll you try on. I'll um, to get some, some of the references. I'll try to get them if I can. But that's they might all... me because of my age. Well, yeah. I mean, what I appreciate is that although you are technically far too young to be um, you know, a film photographer, because we do generally associate that with all the crusties like me and age, <laughs> but you have, uh, as by means of, sort of offering an olive branch, grown possibly the most fantastic of uh, big bushy beards that... Uh, any of our previous guests you know have had you're you're putting even the likes of Corey and dave bias to shame with your big bushy bright red beard it's spectacular well unfortunately i can't give any secrets on that i think it's just genetics i do get asked a lot considering i'm 19 big beard i don't know how it happened but it's there yeah well it's victor i i heartily suggest that any listeners just look at your profile picture because it's it is a a mighty handsome beard um you look great you have a great profile picture anyway um it seems like the perfect question to ask you because one of the most cliched questions to ask a photographer is how did you get into photography in the first place but you'll probably have a really good insight to this because being only 19 years old you're going to be able to remember what first you got into photography as opposed to going, well, I'm pretty sure back in the dawn of times. Uh, so, yeah, what what got you into the hobby, Josh? I think uh, I was on a family holiday when I was about, uh, I think, eight, about eight years old. So only, you know, only just over a decade ago. And I'd got uh, one of those horrible Vivitar, uh, I think it was four megapixel digital cameras. Just, mm-hmm. oh, you know, they're mind-blowing stuff. And I went to the Eden Project with my family. And... <sighs> just blew away by the flowers there and I just started taking pictures on my little Vivitar. That's what really kick-started it for me. So it's been since then. And the, and the, and the bug just bit hard. So um, 
where did it go after i suppose was it getting the results back from seeing what you could do with the camera or or was it just the sheer thing of taking photographs and being in that frame of mind to see the world what part of it was that spoke to you i think it might have just been able to capture things obviously my interests have shifted from you know i'm much more of a portrait photographer now i do the occasional landscape and things like that but much more portrait focused but yeah, it was initially just the idea that I could capture something. I could put my name on it and say that that was my image. Because um, I suppose we should say you are currently at university, aren't you? Yeah. So what is it you're studying and where is it you're studying? I'm studying, it's it's just called, the degree is just called photography at uh, Birmingham City University. It's a nice little uni. And how long have you been doing that for now? I'm now just coming up to the end of my second year. So I've, I've got a year to go after this. Um, now, the fact that we're talking to you clearly indicates that uh, film photography is a large part of what you do. Uh, how how did you make that transition? When did that come about? Was that something that started when you started at university or was it something you'd got into beforehand? I think it was about three years ago, sort of a uh, college time when I did an A-level in photography as well. And it was introduced. It's... It is given to everyone as an opportunity in colleges still nowadays. Uh, you can you can leave it at the side if you like, or you can take it on, which is something that I did, and I've just absolutely run with it since then. It's never stopped loving film photography. You're, you have a great website. Um, it is, was it joshfphoto.com? Yeah, that's it. Um, well worth anybody sorting out. It's one of the most professional-looking websites I've come across. It's really nicely laid out. It's just really stylish website. I'm hugely impressed with it. And uh, a great portfolio of your work on there. Thank you. Um, and it's, uh, I would imagine, almost all film photography on there. Um, I'd love to talk to you about some of the uh, projects or particular things that you've done on there. Um one of the first things that I saw when I was going down there was your skinheads and mods uh, yeah. po um, portraits that you were doing. Can you tell us where did that come from? I th initially, it is because of um, I, I'm required to fulfil briefs for university, but I do want to make them quite interesting to keep myself entertained. And I'm, I am looking to create a lot more long-term projects that I think are just go into detail a lot more than a standard project would. And for that, I'm, I am quite interested in the mods and skinheads culture. But what interested me, especially with my age, is that people my age, or even younger still, are getting into the mod culture and the skinhead culture, when really it, it should have died away. I'm not saying it should have, but it feels like so so many decades ago that these things happened, but people my age still want to get into it. I like the term millennial mod mm. how so your portraits are i suppose if, if i was going to describe they are you're shooting a, for the most very sort of classic portrait styles they're they're, they're beautiful yeah. portraits but they're done in quite a i don't know the right correct you know a straight style you're not trying to do anything crazy you're not trying to hit things from a weird new angle you're just trying to take really beautiful portraits of people in in the environments they're in um when you were approaching this project how how do you go about trying to capture the the culture that they're part of with that as well because that must be quite difficult to to get that feeling to really come across in the pictures I think initially what I did was uh, I'm, I don't really know particularly any mods and skinheads in my local area. I think I know about one, which I did shoot for the project. But I did a reach out online to get in contact with these guys. And I think it was quite valuable for me to actually interview them firsthand. So there is a sort of there's a middle way between it becoming an interview and photography as well to have alongside the photographs. That interview did allow me to gain the perspective that I needed to photograph them. Yeah, yeah. Um, and is that, have you shared the interviews elsewhere with the with the photographs? I mean, I'm guessing maybe for your work at college or university, rather, you might have done, but um, is that something you've actually published elsewhere? 
I think it's something in the future because I'm still very interested in the project and I would like to continue on quite a large scale within staying within the sort of young generation of these of these uh, subcultures that have just been reincarnated. So I think if I did release it as something, it would be all together and that's when those interviews would be shown. But at the moment, it's all, it's all tucked away in various, various notepads and it might come out again in the future. Do you know what? I think I could really get interested in a zine that had those in it. Yeah, you know something like that, and and you know we, Graham and I are still mulling over ideas about what twenty seven zine actually means, but um, uh, you know I, so, so I could see where that could come together as a really coherent piece of work. In my own chain reaction project, you know, which is all about portraiture, I've been uh, apart from that very obvious theme that's in the title. I am uh, it, it's going. Uh, I'm finding it interesting thinking about what actually is a coherent thread that holds it all together. Uh, but what you're what you're setting out to do there is you, you've got the coherent thread in mind already, and that that that's I, I like that idea. I, I I think that would be really really interesting to see those. I think I think it would be interesting to run with. Um, I, I've reminded myself of a book. It was uh, I think it was Raised by Wolves. I can't remember the photographer's name, but he did uh, Life in L.A. with a lot of different. Uh, classes and he invited the people he photographed these were lovely lovely portraits he invited them to put handwritten notes juxtaposed with those images and it's, it's something that I actually quite I take a lot of inspiration from I think it works very well in terms of a book but I think a zine in terms of a modern context would also work really well so thank you for that idea <laughs> right now, you're most welcome <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna write it I, down now I think it's particularly with something like that because it is it is really interesting. I mean, I I would love to know why why these people are getting into these cultures, what it means to them now. Because I I are they being drawn to it for the same ethos that was driving the the movements back in the seventies, or is it something completely different now? Is it just about the style and the fashion? Um, it is. Uh, the the photographs are, a, are an amazing window into the fact that this is a thing that's happening, um, but it, it, it does it just makes you want to ask even more questions. So yeah, I really hope you do pursue that further. Well, that's um, a fantastic example, really. It is. Uh, I did ask those questions whether they were interested in the fashion or actually felt like they took on the the mod life itself or the skinhead life as well. Hmm. That that was one of the things. So that was something that started off because of your work that you need to do for the uni. Was that the same kind of thing with um, the work you've done in the tattoo parlours? Uh, again, the tattoo studios is because of uni work. But I, it's, I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing that university is giving me these briefs because university is teaching me to come up with these ideas. It's not giving me the ideas. It's telling me, it's giving me rough guidelines and then I've got to go out and create a project so i think once i've left university i can create these projects independently that's a real skill because um i struggle all the time with thinking about projects so what was actually the brief then for the tattoo parlors work um if i remember it now it was quite vague this was about a year ago um it was essentially make your own book that that was as far as i can remember it make a book on a study of something that you want to study that is that's quite broad that yeah. Is, yeah that's that, that allows for quite some creative leeway that doesn't it i think i'll come back with a mr man book you'd have come back with a whole packet full of cameras is what you'd have come back with <laughs> yeah that's true here's what i bought this week that Can yeah I, that's really because I, mean, I i don't know that i could take something that they, uh, this is something that i often have a block on um i think my my yeah uh, I've mentioned it once already, but uh, the reason I have to keep going back to my chain reaction project is it's pretty much the only idea I've ever had. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good idea, though, Aid. I mean, that's the thing. It's a good idea, and, it, and it's a fertile ground as well. So it's, that, that's, uh, that goes a long way. One good idea will get you a long way. With the um, the tattoo studio one, you're working in, obviously, an indoor area, which I would imagine is quite challenging, like... Was was that a project that you shot on film? Uh, yeah, all of that has been on film. It's been a mix of thirty-five mil medium format. Um, I've actually done. I've shot the images of tattoo studios in the summers, so in the summer, 
uh, Saunders. Um, so it hasn't been too difficult in terms of the enclosed space and difficulty with lighting. All it has been is the cameras, a reflector, which I quite conveniently place on a, a spinny chair, which a lot of the tattooers sit on. You, so you can just manoeuvre it around like an assistant. And yeah, <laughs> Cunning. that's about it. <laughs> that's all quite straight. When you go to these places, I mean, are people, uh, this is a real cliche question, but are, yeah. are, are people surprised by seeing you turn up with a film camera, particularly if you're turning it with a medium format lump of a camera? Um, it depends. I, I think a couple of the studios I have shot in, um, I do already know the people, but when the people who are being tattooed haven't met me, there is there is always those questions. I mean, wherever you shoot a film camera, you, you might have someone come up to you and go, well, that's an odd looking camera. It's just it's the same as any environment, really. Yeah. Yeah. Do you find that uh, I know it was a thing that when we had Rob Hawthorne on last year, um, he was explained to us how he had to have conversations with people before shooting just to explain that things are going to be a little bit different because you are shooting with a film camera. Um, and so you can't just show somebody on the back of the camera what the picture's like and that they will need to be a little bit more patient whilst you focus and prepare. Are, are these the kind of, are you having to have those kind of conversations as well? I think um, I'll always initiate dialogue with that. Um, it, it's a really good way to get people comfortable because especially with portraits I find first and foremost it's having that initial conversation with someone to make them feel like they're there to be photographed and not be uncomfortable about it so yeah I'm definitely talking about the fact that it is film there are a lot of people my age who haven't shot film but they're still aware of the film era It's, it's I don't think it's gone out of common knowledge just yet yeah well, I mean, let's face it, if the mods and the skinheads haven't, then there's hope yet <laughs> for film photography. Um, another thing that I saw on your website that I was really intrigued by, and I don't know whether this thing that's come through from uni or whether this is some other work that you've picked up elsewhere, was yeah. a photo shoot you did with the band The Fidgets. Um, could you All talk right. to us about that a bit? That was, uh, that was just a, a client hire, really. They, they've approached me, and um, I think the important thing is with... Uh, bands is that you're having photography that's appropriate to the music that you make mm -hmm. I, I don't know if you'll agree with that but you want the photographs to suit the tone of the music that the artist is producing so I think they've approached me seeing that film photography was the appropriate medium to to take that in yeah yeah that was, that I, was, uh, I think it was in Stratford upon Avon which, uh, which seems quite it's quite a quaint place, I think. If if you have visited there, I'm sure you have. It's you know, it's a lovely little quaint place, and they are a quiet duo uh, acoustic um, band, and it, it just seemed to fit the format very well. Mm. Yeah, they they, they it, it does, and you the, the portraits you took uh, are really nice. That they, they they've actually used your pictures, something because I think one was used on a magazine recently. Yeah, it's uh, it, the magazine in my local city, Worcester, Slap Magazine, uh, is sort of the music magazine for Worcester, saying all of the gigs that are happening and things like that. And they used it as the front cover and had, uh, I think it was in the centrefold as well, an interview with the band and then some of my images sort of pushed in as well. And uh, also, I'm pretty sure it's, well, it must be because it's from that shoot, the, um, one of the images was used on their latest single release as well, wasn't it? It, it was, yes. So... This is a situation where they've um, found you through, I don't know whether it be Facebook or through your website, or um, do you actually do you know how they found you? Uh, they did initially contact me through Instagram. I think, oddly enough, it was word of mouth this time, though. But ah. it tends to be through Instagram. But they, they've made that initial contact through there anyway. So how are you finding developing this the business side of things because you're studying photography uh and so i would imagine that you want to make this into a, your career going forward yeah how is the building a business side going how how do you find that so when when somebody like the fidgets comes to you and say this is what we want to do how do you go through that process i think for me i i do have to quite heavily assess what the client's wanting really it's it's a nice simple process and I they'll always appreciate that the time you take to sort that out 
will benefit them because it ultimately creates nicer images. And it just it works out for both parties. Do you, do you find it difficult um, at all? Perhaps it informed by the fact maybe people are going well, you know, this is somebody who's still at university and is still. Do you get people? trying to play the well look we don't want to pay you but we'll give you exposure card much um i don't think it's happened so recently it might have happened once last year but i i was um i was told recently it was it was a very useful thing to keep in my mind that um it was specifically relating to my degree that people would hire me based off my images and not based off my grades which is just absolutely stuck in my mind. And I think it's relevant to that as well, because even if I am a student, if I'm creating good images, you can't just put the student card on me and say, well, I'm not going to pay you. What's the um, attitude of the people who are teaching you? I mean, are they, are, are they encouraging you to do more with film? Are they ambivalent either way? Do, you know, do they... Do you find that there's any encouragement one way or the other with it? I find that um, there's a sort of divided opinion. I do have a lot of lecturers, and obviously those lecturers were born and raised during the film era. So they've had their time. That, that's, that's what some of them feel, <laughs> is that they've had their time, and why not embrace the digital workflow? Yeah, but There are, I'd say, two of my lecturers who are working professionals who happily embrace film, but know that using digital is also a valuable tool. Yeah. Does the conflict ever come up between the practices of, um, look, if you're going to make money, this is more difficult with film? I don't think it's that so much. Uh, it's about, really, it's about having that the right medium for you. As long as the, the as long as the product is there in the end. Obviously, if you're shooting. Uh, let's say, like a, a fashion show that needed the images the next day. Obviously, you could just about do it on film if you uh, had a few coffees and stayed up overnight developing it yourself and scanning it in. But really, the sensible option would be digital at that point. So it's finding the balance about... It's relative to the shoot, really. Yeah, yeah. So looking to the future, um, the, the crystal ball tanks, how much longer have you got on your course? So uh, I've got two months this year. I, I finish uh, for the year in May, which is uh, as crazy as it sounds. Lazy students. <laughs> so, so I think it's five months off. Five, five. months off? <laughs> five? Jesus Christ. Yeah. This is why we never have young people on aid. I knew there was a reason. <laughs> You're just, uh, yes, our, our jealousy. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So you have five months off to, you know, get over all the hard work of being a student. Uh-huh. <laughs> Well, I think, yeah, I've just worked it out. We hand in in mid-May and we go back uh, early October. Oh, God damn you. <laughs> <laughs> and then is next year your final year? Yeah, next year will be my final year. So it's uh, all systems go from then on. So what what is all systems go? What When you finish this, what's, what are you hoping is going to be your path forward? I'm not entirely sure at the moment when I will go but I am planning to move, not in London, but near London, to be able to commute to it. <laughs> well, you, Aid can offer you advice on the commuting to London. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 plenty of, yes, plenty to plenty of stories to tell there. But there you go. Yeah, well, okay. So, and, and with, with the, uh, where, once you're within commuting distance of London, is, is there something that you're particularly looking uh, for as a, uh, as a, as a target to aim at, or is it, or is it uh, more a question of you know actually being able to take advantage of opportunities that are offered at the time? I think for me, I've I've actually developed an interest in the past year over over magazines and a lot of print media like uh, Pilot Magazine, if if you've uh, come across that before, mm -hmm. or ID Magazine, things like that. Um, so I'd like to do editorial work for those kinds of companies. So that, that really is where the desire has come from, to move to London. I did recently have a, a portfolio review, and one of my questions was, uh, can you be successful if you're not in the South? And I think categorically they responded, no, you, you've got to be in London. Yeah, yeah it's I mean, a double-edged sword, isn't it? I mean, you've got access yeah. to the word, but it's a blooming pricey place to live. Definitely. 
So, uh, yeah. Okay. All right. So, yeah, of course, that means then that your exposure on podcasts that, you know, globally dominating podcasts like Sunny 16 (laughs) uh, is a critical part of your strategy then. It must be. Uh, (laughs) Well, I tell you what, guests on this podcast sing for their supper. So after this quick break, uh, you can help me out with a little dilemma of my own. Okay, so Josh, this is uh, where I need a little bit of your help, and Graham too. So, I uh, I find that when I shoot, things go in cycles, um, and often circles, but in this case, cycles. <laughs> and uh, uh, those of, uh, uh, who are of our regular audience uh, will know that I've pretty much shot entirely 35mm this year, and I've been focusing on my chain reaction project. Uh, primarily I've been shooting Tri-X and Portra uh, and uh, that's been a a real focus for me and uh, it was a very deliberate thing to focus on a particular type of project or a particular project I should say and also to uh, focus on uh, some level of consistency with the cameras that I use. So this is all good um, but I find myself now as we record this at the beginning of April uh in a position where uh i feel like i'm coming to the end of that cycle and i know and i need a change and i know this is true because at the moment i'm keep wishing keep picking up my digital camera and i keep really really wanting to love it <laughs> and i keep wanting yeah and that's a sign that's a definite sign it happens every now and again it's a definite sign that i i need a change i need to switch things up a bit so i'm interested in the uh it, the the balance between digital and film because i shoot almost all film unless somebody complains at me usually a member of my family often a member of my household uh that i am not shooting uh enough digital photos so um uh i guess well but the question to both of you but but to our guest first josh you know, is there a uh, a rule of thumb or or is it a feeling that you that, that helps you choose which camera to pick up film or digital i'd hate to say that i use uh my digital camera as how in the film era in the proper film era that uh people would use polaroids but in a sense i do so uh i'll sh- sort of shoot about half and half on a photo shoot i'll definitely have both with me because i just think it's not worth going i'll only shoot the film today because it is worth having both. But I'll use it as a means to attain um, a a composition and exposure and everything that I want on the digital and then transpose it over to the film and get out, put put the Pentax on my tripod and take off my Sony. Mm. Is that a Pentax 6.7 of some sort you're using? It is. It's the 1989 Pentax 6.7. So thankfully it's got the mirror lockup because of that horrible, horrible issue if you're trying to shoot handheld and below. I think it's 125th of a second. You get the really, really bad mirror shake. Oh, right. Okay, because Graham and I both both shoot Bronicas and I find I can handhold down to about a 15th with the Bronica. For some reason, it's just That's rock. Very it is, and for some reason, it's just, it's just rock solid. Uh, possibly because it has the extra handle grip on it. I don't know, but for some reason, I I find I can get better handheld stability out of the Bronica than I can out of a thirty-five mil. <laughs> there you go. So when because we before we started shooting, we were discussing camera acquisition as we so often are, and um, you were saying, Josh, that you've you feel like you've kind of got your kit locked down you have no desire to acquire more cameras which is weird i mean just one of the many things that's weird about being young so what is your kit made up of at the moment then i mean it might always be a trends and phases thing it might be just at the moment that i'm happy with my gear my gear at the moment but it is um a pentax 67 with a 105 mil 2.4 which is fantastic i absolutely adore this lens i've only had the pentax for about uh two months and it's, I had to travel to uh, Walthamstow in London to get it, but it it's, was worth the trek. And my digital is a Sony A7R with a Canon FD uh, 50mm 1.4, just because I don't want to use the autofocus lenses, partly because I'm, I'm a cheapskate and I don't want to spend out on them, but 
also it, it's sort of like having a, a, a digital film camera if that makes sense i i totally get that yep i t- so so i was in fact one of the things i've been doing over the last couple of days is switching all my nikon uh, lenses on and off my fuji xt1 which is my main digital camera uh and you know just because um i like having a i like having a short focus throw uh i like having a hard stop for infinity and and yeah a lot of these modern autofocus lenses simply don't have that and uh and and if i had any discipline at all i'd go out and take a bunch of side-by-side shots and compare the rendering but where would be the fun in doing actual testing (laughs) that's true so aid you're saying that you're getting to the point where you feel like you need to shift things up a bit so you've been shooting with your 35 millimeter slr now for the last three months um what kind of shift up do you are you looking for do you think i mean is it are you looking for something a, a drastic change of gear like you know previous to this you were using things like the instax and the holger or is it more a change of pace of are you you're enjoying having the results quickly because of things like the the digital where where do you think that shift's going to go i don't know which is why i need help but uh, <laughs> but i know that this is a cry for help i need an intervention of some sort i think um i don't know let me try and process this out, out loud i think so it's about it's about the inspiration for for shooting i think uh and so it doesn't it doesn't even need to be about cameras necessarily um uh it could be about you know the type of photography i'm doing i haven't done one of my chain reaction shoots for a few weeks and i'm kind of missing that and and uh, trying to be setting some stuff up uh you know to do that again soon but uh yeah it's just the the gaps in it between uh between shoots are, are a bit long it's becoming a slightly longer term project than i thought which isn't a bad thing but maybe i need another one to to go alongside it i don't know so maybe there's another project i need um maybe it's just a question of you know going to the cupboard and picking out a different camera you know uh you know picking up the bronica or or, or a holger um less fussed about the instax <laughs> um or, or even though you tried to get me to buy one of those new lamography cameras i i'm really suspect really suspicious of those because i i've i've bought lamography cameras in the past and, and not had a great <laughs> time uh so i, I don't know, i think it's just um you know uh, I, I i keep getting these things in my head uh you know it's like well it'd be great to do some really sort of computer-based manipulation of images you know take some images and then actually manipulate them and cut them about and and mm. create something that is very very manufactured out of it to get away from that rather natural look that i i've been pursuing i say natural yeah. I mean, artificial light to add to things but essentially a fairly natural organic kind of look that i've been getting with my film photography recently um yeah and uh where did, where did it go oh well, well we, i went to venice last week and and um and i just took a 35 mil there and i got the film uh the films back from the lab really quickly and there are plenty of photos there that i'm just looking at and going yeah yeah that's a photo of venice yeah could have well, we could have tried week. harder than couldn't i <laughs> it's like, it is that thing though when you're when you are somewhere that is so photographed as venice it's really hard to come away with something and feel like you've got a unique shot. That's just really, really hard. I mean, it's the I'd biggest. Have for, I'd have sailed for a good copy, to be honest. <laughs> now, I think I think part of the you know, is it, you know, we discussed this, and without going over it all in detail again, it wasn't a photography trip. It was a trip to spend a weekend away with my wife, and that was the thing that I was there to do, not to take photographs. So I wasn't. You know, saying, oh, sorry, my dear, we're going to have to delay dinner while I go and do some sunset photos. You know, <laughs> God, now back, back yeah. I'll see. I'll see you. Yeah, sometime after you've had a nice relaxing snooze. Yeah, it was. That's not what the weekend was about. So there's an element of that about it that had a significant influence on the shots I got back. But I was just thinking, you know what? It's time to spice it up. So uh, maybe it's to. Do, maybe I need a new project. What could I take as a new project? And don't say cheap shots challenge because I'm already doing that one badly. Well, you know, what, what I always find is, I mean, and obviously this is a bit easier for me because I do have a, a rather large collection of stuff and also the uh, happy happy um, desire to pick up more stuff. But um, often a good way of just getting more inspiration is to pick up something that's really different from what you've been using. Um, and like I said, you went through that last year. You went from the Holger, which is 
very simple and you know, gives you a real one distinct kind of feel to what you're doing to the instax which is a completely different way of working and then to the to the um 35 millimeter slr and, you, and maybe even if it's not something you stick with for any length of time maybe try moving to something else that either you've not done for a while or maybe something that you've just not done before at all um to just experiment because even if you don't necessarily particularly enjoy that shooting experience it, it might give you some more ideas to go forward at the moment the stuff that i'm doing for my project with the, the um completely unfocused cameras yeah that 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 is giving me a different view on the way i'm seeing things and so it's making it easier to take pictures in places that i've been to and taken pictures many many times before um i was looking at the roll of film i got out of the that point and shoot nikon uh, that we talked about last week and looking at some of the photos from that and as with almost every roll of film that i shoot most of them were taken in the gardens that i work in and there were a few on that that were just little elements of the gardens and i thought car i've actually probably got at this point a lot of photographs of elements of the gardens that i work in that might be a thing that i could actually put together and you know and think about more so maybe you just need to look back at some of the stuff that you've been doing and enjoying doing and going actually is there a thread through here that has been subconsciously going on that you could take forward from that? Um, you know, the cinematic angle that you like to use, could you actively start looking for scenes that really lend themselves towards that and let that be a focus rather than at the moment you know, you're taking portraits and, and using, using that with it afterwards, but maybe think, okay, what would particularly work with this? Um, but yeah, I think there's a few different ways you take it. I mean, one thing I'm thinking about this month, we talked about it last week, is the pinhole photography, um, because we're heading up towards World Pinhole Photography Day and um, all of that stuff. So I'm going to be getting back on the pinhole train uh, this month. And, and pinhole is something that can really change up how you approach stuff. Have you done any pinhole photography, Josh? It's got to have been a fair few years ago when I was just at the point of starting uh, film photography i yeah i mean it's there as a thing i can't say um it interests me a lot at the moment but again sure. as, as many of these things are cyclical it might come back and i'll think oh actually i'll give that a try yeah i mean what, what other than having the university throw in things that you, that you need to do how do you find inspiration when you, you're sort of sat there going, oh, okay, I, I need to get out. I, you know, I, I, you work hard at what you're doing. How do you find inspiration to get out? I mean, as you guys were just talking, you were talking from a sort of the gear perspective of, of changing cameras to give a bit more of an inspiration. I, I'm not sure if it's comparative, but I've got, um, which I've started to turn it, I'm looking at it now. It's, it's turning into what I call the conspiracy theory wall which is a series of post-it notes um, with ideas that I come up with when I'm falling asleep. Because <laughs> that's where ideas come for me. Is You're struggling to get to sleep, probably about two in the morning, and you think, oh, that's an idea that you could do for a project. And I write it on, the, on um, one of the post-it notes and have it on my wall just to get an idea going, and then I could develop it later on. It's one of the, I think I've got lots of little bits of ideas that might turn into something later on. I like that idea. I, I, I work with a lot of software developers who live and breathe post-it notes on whiteboards and things like that. And, uh, you yeah, know, that, that I could, I could imagine that working. Yeah. Thank you. I, I give that a go. I think it's a good, good point. You know, uh, as well, you brought out there, Josh, that, you know, I'm thinking about switching up cameras. Uh, I, I, you know, I think the, the, I think that in some ways is me being lazy because the, one of the things I'm getting really, really interested in is, uh, and is higher production quality of lighting. So, you know, it's, it's dead easy to take one light or two lights around and, and, and set those up, you know, uh, and get something. Uh, but I, you know, just, just by, by way of noting inspiration, uh, before Christmas, uh, we had a family day out to Harry Potter Studios. And in this studio uh, tour, there are a load of film sets, and some of them are actually lit like they would have been in the films. 
and the lighting was just awesome. I mean, you couldn't possibly take a bad photograph in these places, you know. <laughs> um, yeah, it was just like, wow, that's that's just amazing. And uh, and you know, so I'm st- the the things that I find myself thinking about you know, late at night and and uh, and cruising websites to look at kit is is well, how how can I get loads and loads and loads of lights and set them all up in a way and you know and, and build lighting scenarios. I think that's less about um, you know the way the way tra- chain reaction has been conducted mostly uh, so far is by meeting up in a pub in London after work and with as much kit as I can reasonably carry without getting too bogged down with it. Uh, the one exception being the shoot that Graham and I did, where we, you know, I took a car load of kit, including one of those, uh, uh, one of those really, really fancy light meters that says Fuji XT1 on the front of it. Um, uh, so uh, I think maybe I just need to try harder. <laughs> oh dear! Oh dear! Oh dear! All right. I, with that self-realization, we'll have a quick break and we'll come back and talk about some news items. Right, okay, so we talked actually with Dave Bias, didn't we, Graham, about the pre-production runs of the Ferrania P30. But this week, I have noticed surfacing half a dozen or so uh, P30 shots from the first production patch, which, um, yeah, uh, good news, everyone. I mean, you know, Ferrania have got film into, really into production. I mean, that's that's fantastic news, isn't it? Yeah, and the pictures that they're sharing look really nice. I mean, it's always frustrating seeing things on the internet because you just think, oh, I want to hold this in my hand and look at this picture to really appreciate it. But um, they look really nice, and the the lines and scarring that was um, a problem with the pre-production batch are all gone. Um, yeah, just got some really nice um, contrasty black and white images uh, they've shared them i think you said they've shared them on twitter and they're certainly on their instagram feeds as well yeah it's um uh, it's i I'm, I'm first of all i'm glad to see it second of all i'm glad to see that it looks good because i've got a couple of rolls on the way um, mm. uh, josh is it, have you been following the ferrania story at all i've been i've been sort of uh, dropping in and out of it when i see a lot of people post on instagram especially with the, the p30 thing as it's come into view earlier as I said uh, before, uh, when we weren't recording, it was uh, a case of I didn't have enough money as a, as a young child when uh, Ferrania was doing their initial Kickstarter campaign. But I did look quite lustfully thinking I wanted it. But uh, hopefully they'll do the, the general sale, I think, quite soon. I have to, I'm just looking. Uh, if you want to see the images that Ferrania have shared, the best place to go, unsurprisingly, is their own website, which is www.filmferrania.it forward slash p30 um, because they've got uh, a dozen images on there and um, you can blow them up big and I have to say they look real nice they are really fine grained um, nice and uh, sharp images um, and the contrast range seems great um, it looks really nice it looks really nice um, I, I'm really looking forward to seeing the results when they're in other photographers hands the nice thing is that also if you go to their website um along with every photo they list the cameras that they was taken with and the lens and also the um developer and developing process that they use so you can emulate it and you can sort of see how did they get these results which i think is great because that was one of the questions that we first had was well you know when you're looking at these things you've got no idea how we've arrived at these things but i think they've clearly tried it in a few different developers and um, the one that i'm looking at now is a picture of this really beautiful um i don't know sort of bandstand kind of thing actually that's not what it is it's in, a, it's in some <laughs> if, it was, if, it, if it was in the uk it would be a bandstand it looks a little bit more italian than that to me but... yeah it's, it's a very beautiful garden structure um but they're saying on there that they developed it in um Extol stock in the jobo small tank for six minutes um standard inversions um and it was scanned in on a, a canon canner scan 9000f so this is all uh, um your home stuff this isn't some weird crazy developer or some uh super high-end 
scanner um and the results are, are really nice and it does seem to have um handled the levels really well within the range so um yeah it, it looks nice um but the proof of the pudding will obviously be once it's out in in the general hands but uh yes it's it looks really nice i'm pretty Good. sure i can make mine look less nice than this um so <laughs> we'll see how it goes i'm interested intrigued to shoot because uh, it clearly is a fine grain as you say i'm intrigued to shoot an 80 speed film as well you know that's um uh you know part of me that you know wants to help it along with some artificial light <laughs> i do wonder uh, if uh what, what what it's pushing and pulling ability is going to be like as well obviously with it if it is actually set at 80 or whether it's um maybe 100 but says at 80 We'll have we'll have to see on that when um obviously it's in more common usage whether it performs well pushing and pulling. Well, I am interested to see that. Is that something you do a lot of? Um, I actually rate this is because of what my lab tells me. Um, I also well, I, I for a long time shot one sixty films at one sixty, which obviously makes sense. However, my lab tells me that I should always rate it at hundred and process it at one sixty color that is that's for portrait 160 and fuji pro 160 i've been doing that for quite some time now i mean i can so, see the sense in that because it it you know with, with something like that this what well, it's basically two-thirds of a stop overexposed isn't it and and you know with the way that color negative film responds especially very modern emulsions like those uh yeah yeah you can't you almost can't over expose them and so you're going to get you know much more depth in the negative aren't you by by shooting them that way i guess yeah yeah i I suppose it just gives you more chance to get more out of the film doesn't it when you're giving a bit of overexposure and it's also such a small amount as well i mean that's less than the stops worth of um overexposure have you have you tried pushing any of the um slower films at all josh anything like the ilford pan f50 or anything like that i can't say i've shot pan f too many times i buy um for when i do shoot 35 mil now which is waning a little bit i have to say i only really shoot 35 mil for the for my pocket camera which is always with me which is my um my besser r but Mm. i tend to shoot hp5 because i bought it in a 30 meter bulk just because (laughs) yeah it's it's a price thing yeah that's a good enough reason yeah yeah absolutely And, and what do you shoot the hp5 at I, I mean, it depends, but I, I pull it to 200 and I'm very happy with it at 200 and I'm very happy with it at sometimes 1600. Yeah. I find that such a versatile film. I'm sure you've spoken about it before, but it's, yeah. I think it's the film that everyone is introduced onto for black and white work because it's so forgiving and it just works in any situation. Yeah, it's great. I think it, it, when we did our Sony 16 Awards, it, that was the film of the year, wasn't it, Aid, if I'm remembering correctly? Oh, I, it was ages ago, but I think you're right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, it is. It's a great film. It really is. It's it's an evergreen or an ever black and white. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, which it's, you're right. It's a fantastic film. It's one that I, I very rarely shoot, actually, uh, and certainly not. I don't shoot it at all in 35 mil, actually. So that's, <laughs> I only ever shoot it in 120 if I'm shooting HP5. I find the grain a little bit too uh, uh, harsh is maybe the wrong word, but a little too obvious for me. Well, uh, this P30 should should sort that out for you, Ed, because like I said, it really does look yeah, it looks looks creamy like creamy as as you like, doesn't it? So okay, so that's good good news. Yeah, well done, Ferhania, and and you know uh, it's great that we're coming back almost every week now with the progress story from Ferhania. So I mean that's a really good place to be, and I'm sure they're even more pleased than we are. So um, but with this P30, uh, I, I hear Graham that you um have uh, added further new babies to your collection of cameras recently i don't I well, do, if i if that sounds like my voice is full of trepidation it's because i'm kind of afraid to ask <laughs> well the thing is I, I actually forgot about two of them <laughs> when we started talking about this and um, so i'll very quickly talk about the two i i um, accidentally wandered into a charity shop this week and um the first thing i saw did it hurt uh, <laughs> is um an Olympus OM10. Now we have talked about this camera many, many times, and anybody who knows my feelings on the Olympus OM10 knows that if I see one sat in a shop, um, 
loan someone a shelf, I'm going to buy it because they are cracking little cameras. Um, they are really great SLRs. This one's in pretty good condition. There's a bit of rust on the metal parts, but other than that, it's in good condition. And it's got the 50 millimeter lens on it. And it even had, um, because it's um, a uh, aperture priority camera, but you can get these little manual control adapters, which you can pick up for, I don't know, it varies a bit, but 15 quid on eBay. Anyway, that was also on it as well. So I picked that bad boy up for a fiver, and I've already slung some batteries in it, and it's working. The great thing about the OM10s is that when the battery runs flat, the mirror locks up and the shutter won't cock. So if somebody has one of these things and they don't know that, as far as they're concerned, this camera is just broken, really broken. I picked it up, took off the lens, looked at it and went, oh, that's all that's wrong with it. Shoved in a couple of batteries and she's all good to go. The other thing that was in the charity shop, which is not the kind of thing I'd normally gravitate towards, but again, it was £5, so you know you couldn't leave it there, is a Canon EOS 300, um, which is a really lightweight, very plastic um late 90s i guess canon slr um and it's got a equally plastic and lightweight and probably quite terrible 28 to 80 millimeter lens on it um but i quite like these because they're really light um they do everything you know they're they're a, a fast um easy to use slr and you can manual focus or you can use the autofocus on it so if i stick my 50 millimeter one one eight lens for my old digital camera on it i've got really nice lens on there um and i'm probably going to pass this one on another to um my partner or to my one of my nieces because it is so much lighter than some of the other ones um but those aren't actually the ones i'm looking forward to the one that i haven't got my hands on yet but i was inspired to buy because of our conversation with Dave Bias a couple of weeks ago. Do you remember, Ray, we were talking about his um, MF Box Co? Oh, yeah, yes, yes. His his project of, of cataloguing some of the most decorated and beautiful box cameras. Yes, absolutely. And one of his favourites on there, which is unfortunately not the exact thing that I've got, but it's related, was the um, Zeiss... Uh, the Zeiss box camera, the 54.2 Zeiss box camera. And I have picked up one of those, a, a, an older 1928 model of the Zeiss Icon box camera. Um, because I just really want to give it a go. We were talking earlier about shooting things in a different way. And uh, with box cameras, it's a completely different shooting experience to pretty much anything else um, because they are so simple Um and the way you look through them is completely different. But at the same time, you're getting these great big negatives out of them. They're six by nine negatives. And the Zeiss is unusual in that it actually has a reasonably good lens on it for a box camera. So, um, yeah, I picked one up on eBay pretty darn cheap. And I'm really looking forward to getting my hands on it and shoving a roll of film in there and having a play with it. That sounds cool. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, interesting stuff. Um, uh, well, yeah, so you got your work cut out with you then, haven't you? If you're trying to make pinhole cameras, you're trying to do a cheap shots challenge, you're trying to do your myopic me project, and you've now got a box cameras to do as well. So, whew. I like to keep myself busy. And, uh, you know, I have I finished off last month's roll of um, film for the Myopic Me Challenge. So that's done. And I've taken some pictures for the Cheap Shots Challenge as well. So, I'm, you know, I'm keeping on top of this stuff. I'm all right. I've got this all under control, Aid. And I've got some ideas in my head <laughs> for some great pinhole cameras as well. So um, anybody out there who's going to join us in the competition for making a cool and crazy pinhole camera, just know I've got some great plans. So you're going to need to bring it. Oh, okay. Challenging stuff there. Fighting talk, fighting talk. So, all right. Well, uh, let's not keep uh, you away from that for any longer than necessary. And uh, let's move along to our shout outs for the week. And first of all, I'd like to give Josh a go at that. Uh, Josh, who would you like our listeners to go and see their work, things that you'd recommend, etc., etc.? I think I'd, I'd like to give a shout out to a, a girl I worked on a YouTube video with recently. It's uh, Kate Hook underscore on Instagram. She produces a lot more experimental work than I do, but we've got we've had a, a nice time chatting away and learning about each other's styles of work. But she's a lot more into uh, 
souping lemon juice and things like that it's, it's all it's a lot different to what i do all right okay yeah i'm having a look at her instagram account now there's plenty of uh double exposures plenty of uh, uh um yeah it, it's quite some abstract stuff i guess as well isn't it so yeah i've been following kate for quite a while and um she does do some really interesting and, and cool and um weird stuff and yeah it's a, a good shout out it's very different to what you do but um and i did also see that youtube video that you did together uh so well worth people checking that out all right okay good stuff so uh moving on to uh graham then uh what about your shout outs hey i am delighted to say that we have had another email this is wonderful this is justifying me making the email address in the first place the email this week has come in to us from um one of our i think three canadian listeners so we have now we have now been contacted by a third of the worthwhile canadians to hear from um so this is from this is an email from angela uh so um, just hi Aidan Graham just finished listening to episode 43 and Graham mentioned about the Canon counterpart to the Nikon LF 35AF I grew up using one of those cameras the Canon Autoboy slash AF 35M um, they are as big and bulky as the 80s compact but I found the lenses to be sharp and not to mention the long lifespan it was our family camera from the late 80s until it broke down in 2002 I do find a similar quirk to these cameras. Aside from being loud, their rewind lever is difficult to push back. I remember numerous chipped broken nails from operating hours. This is not a problem I've had so far. Um, yeah, well, with your big gardener's <laughs> hands, you should be fine. <laughs> yeah. We also had a bunch of our cameras CLA'd recently, including my Rolleiflex 2.8e. Initially, Ooh, we sent nice. it. Yeah, that is a nice camera. Initially, we sent it to a reputable company in the United States, but the quote will cost us an arm and a leg. Um, my advice to fellow listeners: search the deep ends of Google or even Facebook or Flickr groups, and you will find someone who can service the camera for less than the amount but uh, less than that, but still provide quality service. Also, locally, if possible, as sending items overseas is not really an option for us, given the exchange rate in Canada. And lastly, and Aid, you will like this, and I was tempted to cut this bit out, but I'm going to read it anyway. Lastly, I also want to ask Aid about lights, not bags at least. Um, <laughs> I tend to shy away from using flash, but since it was mentioned in the show that you own quite a lot of lighting paraphernalia, yeah. No kidding. Maybe a tip or two to share on the show would be great. As well, if you could recommend places to visit in London and potentially day trip locations we're looking to visit in August. Um, anyway, this is getting fairly long. So for now, I bid you farewell and keep up the great work. So before we uh, address those last questions, I just want to say that um, Angela is uh, this is Jella underscore s on instagram and has got lots of lovely um, photographs on there and she also has a great website which is www.derpinsel.com which is spelled d-e-r-p-i-n-s-e-l.com uh really well worth a look i was having a look on there earlier and um i'm really interested in some of the uh projects and collaborations that angela's been involved in um so I, i'm thinking i'm going to chase up angela and try and find out some more about some of that stuff um but anyway aid i think the the lighting conversation we probably need to find more time for in another podcast again <laughs> oh no but... you don't you don't get away that easily <laughs> <laughs> okay well go on then. do you want do you want, have you got some quick tips for lighting uh, well, I mean, we've talked on the show about before about starting off, especially for uh, for film photography, with continuous lights. And uh, the the very simplest way to do that is with your your common or garden variety flashlight or torch. Um, you know, they they can be uh, you know bounced off a wall or or shot through you know uh, some some fabric of some sort to, to soften the light and can get you started. Um, beyond that, I think you're probably right. I think we probably do need to to give it uh, a little bit more time and consider it. Um, one thing that uh, might be uh, what we could do in a, a future episode is to answer anything particularly uh, specific from Angela or from other les listeners. Um, so, yeah, uh, the, the type of lighting that is, is really useful often depends upon what you want to shoot, of course, and, and the circumstances in which you're going to shoot. So mm. um, if Angela would like to, to write with any specific questions, I, I'd be very pleased to answer them uh, on the podcast. And, mm -hmm. and the same goes for other listeners, too. 
Okay, there you go, listeners. You have your orders. Uh, Josh, uh, do you shoot much with artificial light? Um, studio, which I, you know, obviously I tend to say artificial light was going to be in. It's a case for me that I need to get into it more. I know I do. I, I studio, I haven't been that interested in. I do intend to though. Okay, cool. Right, the next question Angela asked him was about um, recommendations for things to see in London. So, Aid, come on. Let's get a, f- a few hints on places to visit in London. Well, uh, if you want to shoot some of the uh, the, the iconic London views, um, uh, the place to shoot Tower Bridge from is actually London Bridge. Um, uh, I know it's easy for people that are, uh, are not from the UK to, to uh, mistake Tower Bridge and London Bridge. Tower Bridge is the really ornate one, uh, and just upstream from that is London Bridge, which gives you really, really good views of that. Uh, and and walking along the south bank between those two bridges will also give you nice views of the Tower of London. So there's some yeah th- things like that you can do uh, further upstream in the area known as the South Bank. You can take iconic photographs of Big Ben and the Houses of Parliament, for example, and and the London Eye. So they, those are all available along the river bank. Uh, for other things, uh, one of my favourite places actually is Camden Market. Uh, you know, if anybody who's into street shooting and loves market culture and things like that, uh, Camden Market is awesome and it's awesomely big and there's loads of really interesting things to see uh, and and people and uh, just tons of stuff going on there. So those would be two that spring uh, to the top of my mind. Uh, and if you're interested in the the whole sort of you know, vintage film scene, we do have uh, 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 at Brick Lane Market, which is towards the east end of London, uh, but isn't on every day. Uh, is a good place for uh, old film cameras and stuff like that. And the film is not dead. Guys have a stall at uh, Brick Lane Market as well, so they were oh, they yeah. worth looking for. I think that's on the Saturday, isn't it? That they're there. Uh, I do you know what I I'm not going to say because I'll get it wrong. Um, what I would say is for listeners that are interested in doing that to Google Brick Lane Market, uh, and uh, that'll give you. The, the days because i think there's one day in the week and then there's one day at the weekend and I, I can never remember which one it is that that it all works so uh, but that's uh, that's a good fun area to go shooting in as well so there, there's there's a starter list but uh again it kind of depends on what you want to shoot so um, but i'm happy, happy to take specific questions on that too <laughs> there you go there you go and as far as day trip locations i mean you can get to a lot of places from london um oxford is obviously great that's where all the best people are um stratford upon avon you mentioned that earlier josh that's a day trip from london isn't it yeah i'd say so it's about two hours isn't it yeah I mean, that's the great thing about going to the uk basically everything's a day trip when you're used to living in canada everything in the uk is a short stroll by comparison well especially so. if your starting point is london so everything goes in and out of London. Um, yeah, London is, it, it may be in the southeast of the country, but in terms of public transport and, and roads, um, it is the hub of everything. Everything goes in and out of London. So definitely uh, a good place to base yourself for to go on those kinds of trips. Yeah. Right. OK. Uh, I think we're pretty much at the end of the show. And we couldn't end the show possibly without asking Josh uh to recommend to our listeners uh where they could see his work so uh josh i know you have a a a number of of web presences but uh where would you like our listeners to go to to fully appreciate your work i think i'm most active on my instagram definitely i I do find instagram the best sort of thing to just for interacting with people and mine is josh f underscore photo josh f underscore photo and pops up with uh, the name underneath that of josh foster so you'll see the, the big beard yes uh, in, in all its glory yes absolutely uh, a, a fine and uh, fine creation it is and all, all, uh, maybe one day it will come on the podcast <laughs> on its own you know as a separate guest <laughs> when it achieves full sentience <laughs> Uh, and uh, is it worth uh, for those who like to embigger their photographs for viewing uh, is it worth sending people to your website as well uh, yeah I, I mean I, I enjoy my website I think uh, as you mentioned earlier um, I think my website's quite a clean layout which um, people seem to enjoy so that's joshfphoto.com 
yeah definitely one to uh one to go and look at actually because i've been enjoying that uh over the last few days especially all right brilliant well i tell you what josh uh thanks very much for being our guest this week uh it's been an awesome guest um you have you know enormously reduced the average age and for that we're grateful um (laughs) uh and uh yeah well done for having the occasional pop back at graham as well through like snide mentions of your young years <laughs> oh, never i'm trying not any... to be bullied for it <laughs> good <laughs> man we're never anybody under 30 on this show again <laughs> good man oh but thank you but thank you again yeah and uh yeah we'll and and keep in touch so uh we well actually speaking of keeping in touch uh, uh unintended segue there uh, you can get in touch with the sunny 16 podcast of course uh, on this thing they call the internet uh at instagram twitter Flickr, email which is um surprisingly becoming quite a popular way of contacting us at the moment after having been a bit tumbleweed for a very long time so anywhere on the internet that you can type in the phrase or the word uh, sunny 16 podcast you can find us Uh, We would like to say thanks as well to uh, Chris Gillick at pixelatedphotographer.com for hosting the podcast and for the forums where we indulge in longer form conversations, especially around the Cheap Shots Challenge. Uh, That seems to be one of the more active conversations at the moment. Uh, We'd like to say thank you to Bill Owens for the show notes and also to Kevin McLeod at incompetech.com whose music we use in and around this podcast so thanks to all of those uh, please do get in touch and failing that we will speak to you next week goodbye bye you can say bye too if you want josh oh, i suppose i should have done bye <laughs>